0: Hello people of the way. We're going to continue our study through the book of Leviticus and if you have your Bible turn to chapter 23 Leviticus 23 You know, it's so beautiful when we have this picture of the law I'm not saying you know, I have to keep stressing I'm not advocating the law, but it's just so beautiful what the Lord and how the Lord is preparing Israel the camp of his people to receive him So look what happens here in verse 1 of chapter 23. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Or, Or the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. This word for feast here in the beginning of verse 2, you know, the Lord is saying, speak to the children of Israel. But it says the feast. It translates in the Hebrew as a feast, a, a fixed time or season or a festival. I'll give you an example, and I don't mean any offense to the Lord. Um, I have to preface what I'm about to say in, in, in by giving my little, uh, 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 like, I don't mean any offense whatsoever but if you see like in small town USA in certain small town USAs there's like a, um like a harvest festival or um some type of uh holiday festival or something what seasonal festival you know it's like a big deal to small town usa i guess in big town usa it can be a big deal but you see it a lot in small town usa and they had like the autumn festival and you know the townspeople they get ready all the business people they get the farmers they get ready they sell all their trade you know crafts and product and it's kind of like a big event for a small town and that's kind of what I see here in this passage in the Old Testament. And I mean, no offense to the Lord, because it, it is a holy convocation. And I don't mean to uh, uh, cheapen what he's doing by saying it that way, but I what I want you to have in your mind is this concept of, number one, how important it is, but then number two, the Preparations involved for certain feasts and certain festivals in terms of seasons and times and years. And when he says the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, holy consecrated unto the Lord. But then at the same time, this convocation, it translates as a meeting, a gathering, an assembly, but it's as a rehearsal, as a Rehearsal. Remember, all these things that we're studying in the law, they all point to Jesus Christ. He says, these are my feats. Now, we're going to get into some hardcore things in the law and of the Old Covenant. And before we touch on these aspects, I want to protect you with the New Covenant. So turn with me really quick to Galatians, the book of Galatians, chapter 4. One of the problems in the church in Galatia was that they wanted to go back to the law. They wanted to go back to the law because there was this idea where, remember we studied in the book of Acts how there were these uh, former Pharisees who were now Christians? Praise be to the Lord because they're believers in Jesus Christ. But then at the same time, they, they took it upon themselves to go into the churches, go into the lands and start teaching this idea for Gentiles to be circumcised. So if you want to be a Christian... You know, then you have to be circumcised, both Jew and Gentile. That's what they were teaching. Paul, Barnabas, Peter, they had no small dissension. They they, they they were, I don't want to say angry, but I would say borderline anger, righteous indignation. Because that's the law being introduced to a new covenant, which it cannot happen. It cannot happen. And this church in Galatia, what they wanted to do was return to the law. And there's something very deep and personal about our love relationship with the Lord. I say our love relationship, but it's for each and every one of us. It's for you to make a determination for yourself. I have my love of the Lord, but then you also have your love of the Lord and your own love relationship with Him. And what happens when the enemy, in whatever shape or form he takes, when the enemy comes in and whispers in our ear, Hey, you know, your piety is beautiful before the Lord. Now, let's go back and start doing the things in the Old Testament, the law. It's not good. Not good. That's why we have to, you know, Satan presents himself as an angel of light. We have to test the spirits, understanding our domain as new covenant believers. In the church in Galatia, they didn't have that. They didn't have this concept of, you know, wait, these guys are coming in. They're teaching these things. You know, that's garbage. They didn't have this idea of spiritual warfare. This is something that Paul teaches them. This is something that he's taught, and he's going to keep in it continually teaching, not just to Galatia, but to the, all the churches. You know, and not just Paul, but Peter, Jude, about spiritual warfare. The satanic deception. And when I say this idea comes in all shapes and sizes because you have pastors today, elders today, so-called pastors and elders, who are saying, hey, let's go back to the law. It's called the Hebrew Roots Movement. It's not good. say, oh, Jesus Christ was Jewish, so therefore we should be Jewish. No, not at all. Don't forget, pre-law, what did Joseph have? Joseph had a Gentile wife in Egypt. Don't forget that. Zafnat Panea. Pre-law. The church in Galatia, Paul writes to them in verse 9 of chapter 4, so Galatians four nine, He says, but now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. He's speaking about the festivals under the law. He's speaking about the feasts under the law, what we're about to touch on in our study in Leviticus. He says in verse 11, I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Lest I have labored for you in vain. In verse 21, he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Remember, we have to make this distinction as New Covenant believers, this this this, this, this distinction of The letter of the law and the spirit of the law. If you follow the letter of the law, you will be blind and deaf. That path leads to blindness and deafness. That path is the Hebrew Roots Movement. Don't go back to the law. You know, I'm predominantly speaking to to, uh, uh, Gentile believers. If you happen to be a Jew, praise be to the Lord. Messianic Jew, Jesus Christ the Messiah, you are my brother, you are my sister in Christ. But don't forget that in Christ there's no Jew or Gentile. We're all one in Christ, equality in Christ. And I'm not speaking about a social gospel. If you're thinking like, well, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, well, this sounds like a social gospel. No way. That's demonic, the social gospel that you hear being spewed from pulpits of modern days. Do you not hear the law? That's what Paul says to this church that is being seduced to go back to the law. Look at still in Galatians. Look at chapter 5 now. Chapter 5, verse 1. He says, "Stand fast therefore, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. The work of the law Remember this idea that was being spread to the churches? If you want to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. All you males, even of the Gentiles, you have to be circumcised. And Paul says, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. The whole law. says, so, okay, if you want to be circumcised, okay, now you have to keep the whole law. That's impossible, my friend. Because in the law, there's death. In the law, there's the knowledge of good and evil. Very interesting. We're going to talk about this more hardcore as we progress in the book of Romans on our Sunday studies. Hardcore. We're going to hit it hardcore. Because I want you to understand. Because these days that we live in, they're evil. Very, very evil. He says this in verse 4. He says, you have become estranged from Christ. You know what that means? No more intimacy. No more intimacy. You have intimacy with Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. You want to go back to the law? You want to start doing being circumcised? I mean, you're, you're a male. It's physically circumcised? And Paul says, okay, if you want to be circumcised, then, you know, Christ profits you nothing, and you're a debtor to keep the whole law. Even this observation of the days and months and seasons and years, in chapter 4, verse 10, what he tells, he tells the church, talking about the feasts and the festivals. Look at chapter 5, verse 7. He says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Very interesting. Who hindered you? Who in the world came in the church and seduced you and says you have to be circumcised? And started advocating the works of the law. He says in verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ, which means no more intimacy. And then, number two, he says, You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. You see? Fallen from grace. This is a little protection. We're going to study some beautiful, beautiful passages in the law about the seasons, the months, the years, the feast, the tabernacle, feast of tabernacles, feast of booths. We're going to touch on some very, very beautiful passages. And I do not want the enemy to seduce you. And I'm protecting you with the new covenant, and also praying for you. Because I don't want you to be seduced into the law, because in the law there's death. Lastly, let's look at Colossians chapter two, Colossians two, Colossians two, verse eleven. Paul writes to the church in uh, in, in the Colossian church. He says, "In Him, speaking about Jesus Christ, in Him you who you who are." You who are also circumcised, now I have to say something, you know, male, female, in Christ, in Christ, Christians, it's the only way you can be a female and be circumcised. You say like, well, that's crazy talk. No, it isn't. You know, it's spiritually discerned. It's supernatural. You can be female and be circumcised. You know, it's so beautiful because it's about belief. And we're going to, Paul touches on a lot of things in the book of Romans, where we happen to be on our Sunday studies. And we're going to touch on circumcision and what it means to believe. You see, doubting Thomas, that correlation between circumcision and belief, what happened to him on the eighth day when he doubted? Circumcision. And according to the law, on the eighth day, circumcised. A baby's born, a brand new baby, eight, uh, eight days old. And then all of a sudden, the eighth day, circumcision. An Old Testament example of belief in Jesus Christ, just like doubting Thomas. When he doubted, then eight days later, and then all of a sudden he believes. Circumcision. And Paul says this in him, in verse 11, Colossians chapter 2. In him, you... We're also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now you read that, and like, whoa, circumcised without hands? How does that happen? He says, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. You see? Putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. That's why you hear me say all the time, reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead. Don't be old wineskins, be a new wineskin in Christ. Put on Jesus Christ. I'm not just saying it, you know, for the heck of it. I'm saying it because, you know, it's important for us to do. I'm saying it because I want you to do that. And I'm saying it because it's a very holy, holy practice for us as Christians. To reckon the old man dead. You say, oh man, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. You can be a crackhead. I could care less. You can be a porn addict. I don't care. You tell me I believe in Jesus Christ. I say praise be to the Lord. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then go and sin no more. You have to reckon the old man dead. And the works of the flesh. You know, you tell me you you were a crack addict. Okay, praise the Lord. You believe in Jesus. You're not a crack addict anymore. You see? I I, I I use the big ticket items: sex, drugs, rock and roll. When I when it, sometimes I speak and I speak of the big ticket items, because I want you to have a clear idea of good and bad. Very clear. It's stark. I mean, it's obvious. And then the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is going to do is convict you. You know, people say, "Oh, it's just a little white lie." No way. There's no such thing as a little white lie. Oh, it's just a little white lie. Big lie, little lie, it's dishonoring of the Lord. Dishonoring unto the Lord. And I don't want you to be a vessel of dishonor. And so look what happens here. He says in verse uh, uh, 11 at the end, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. That's the water baptism. You hear me say water baptism? It's like your gravesite. When you get baptized, you go underwater. And then it's like your gravesite. You come up out of the water, a born again believer, and that water where you once lied, where you once lay, that's your gravesite. Straight up your gravesite. A lot of people don't teach like this. And so someone will get baptized and then they come up out of the water and they think like, wow, you know, welcome to the social club. The problem with that is that that's not a gravesite. That's dead to flesh, dead to the carnal nature. Now you're still going to wrestle with the flesh, and the Lord gives us the Helper, the Holy Spirit. But to understand that, you know, God's grace, it's not to be something taken advantage of. And Paul writes about it. we're gonna, we're going to hit all these things hardcore. A lot of a lot of subject matter are are covered in the book of Romans, and we're going to hit it hard, you know, on Sunday. And we already have, you know, last Sunday's message was pretty intense about sexual sin. But then at the same time, he says this in verse 12, Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. See, very deep concepts. The spiritual application of the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. And when I say spiritual application, it's a literal application because it's happened. But then historically, the death, the life, the death, the resurrection of our Lord. But then at the same time, we bring it home. Actually, the Lord brings it home. You know what that is? In your heart to sup with you. Intimacy that he desires with you. He says this, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. This translates in the Greek, or you know, some translations don't really... Annotate this well, but how it translates in the Greek is like a legal document or the legal decree or a law of decree. You know what it is—the law, the old covenant, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, having wiped out the law that was against us, which was contrary to us or opposed to us. That's the law, and he has taken it, taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Whoa, that is hardcore. So the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ the law is over in his death nailed to the cross. I mean you remember John the Baptist when he sees Jesus Christ, you know, and he says behold the lamb of God. And I praise be to the Lord. But I wonder if there was anybody at the crucifixion Who looked up at Jesus Christ says, behold the law. Nailed to a cross. It's over. The law is taken out of the way. So John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God. And in the crucifixion, Jesus Christ on the cross. The fulfillment of the law. Behold the law. Nailed to a cross. Verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers you see this is a hardcore verse on spiritual warfare to understand the promises of our lord the fulfillment of the law and the law being nailed to the cross and now what was done the principalities and powers disarmed that's why satan he likes milky christians christians on you know uh, 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 uh milk with a steady diet of milk he doesn't mind i mean Say you're an adult. I don't know if you're, you know, youth or maybe you're old. I mean, old people are still adults. But say you have to get in a brawl with somebody, a fight, physical fight, like go to blows. I'm not being carnal, but say you have to go to blows with somebody. And you're kind of freaked out. You're like, oh, man, you know, the guy told me three o'clock be here. And it's three o'clock. The guy comes around the corner and it's like a little two-year-old. It's it's laughable. Because it's no, no match. It's like, uh, it's no match. That's what we have to understand in spiritual warfare. It's no match. The the principalities, the powers, disarmed. Satan, demons, no power. They have no power. None. Because of Jesus Christ. Not because of you. Because of Jesus Christ. Remember the people who thought they they could uh, 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 have demons come out? They invoked the name of Jesus Christ and demons said, you know, uh, Paul, we know, we, we know Jesus, we know Paul, we, we know Peter. Who in the world are you? And they were overpowered. So it's not like, you know, like in the movies, you know, you just say a name and boom. No, you got to live the life. You got to live the life, which is why I stress maturing in Christ, matriculating, going from first grade to middle school, to high school, to university and on to perfection. Because as the days get evil, you need to understand you need to be a watchman on the wall, number one. But you need to be like ready to go. Locked and cocked and ready to rock. Spiritually speaking. Fight the good fight. Verse 15, he says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing uh, uh, triumphing over them in it, the death of our Lord. And this is a hardcore verse for us in our study in Leviticus. He says in verse 16, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival, translates as a feast day, or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. See? The things of the law, all these rules that we're studying in Leviticus, all these statutes, whether it be in food or drink or regarding a festival or feast day, the timing of the seasons, a new moon or Sabbath, it's all a shadow of things to come, but the very substance of it is Jesus Christ our Lord. The fulfillment of the law, which was nailed to a cross. The law is over. If you abide in Christ, you are not under the law. If you are outside of Christ, you are under the law. And the wages of sin is death in accordance to the law. Death, straight up. Second death. You're going to die once, and then you're going to die a second time. Judgment. Lake of fire, burn in hell. That's why I love you so much. Because I don't want you to burn in. Oh, you're so judgmental. No, it's not know, It's so that second death isn't over you. You're alive in Christ. And you know, we're going to die. We're going to fade away in these earth suits that we presently wear. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no second death for the believer, for the abider in Christ. There is no second death. Sometimes, you know, it's a very hardcore approach to the things that we say. You know, know, if you die without Christ, you're going to burn in hell. Well, I'm just a messenger. It's a biblical truth. Dying without Christ, you know, you are subject to the lake of fire. You will burn in hell without Jesus Christ. That's why I'm going to keep giving you Jesus Christ and the truth of His Word. You don't believe in Him? I say believe in Him. You do believe in Him? I say, praise the Lord. Let's abide in Him together. So now that we have this understanding and this protection, you know, this covering of protection as New Covenant believers, we have this covering of protection upon us in accordance with the New Covenant, the better law, the law of Christ. Let's go back to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. In verse 2, the Lord says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Remember, convocation here translates as a meeting, gathering, or assembly, or a rehearsal. You know what I think of when I think of rehearsal? A wedding rehearsal. You know, you have a bride and groom. Say you are the bride or the groom, or say you're an invitee. Say you're like, you know, the dad or the mom or, you know, whatever. Whatever. Or like the best man or the best lady. I don't know what they call the best ladies, but you know you know what I mean. Best man or best lady. Uh, the I forgot, but the lady, you know. And say you're one of those people. And you're like the day before, a couple of days before, or whatever rehearsal it is. There's the rehearsal. It's not the actual wedding. The actual wedding is for another time. But you still rehearse. That's what I think of when I hear about these convocations, these holy gatherings, these holy assemblies that are as a rehearsal. But a rehearsal for what? Well, what is pending? What is a pending promise? We have the law, which is a shadow of the things to come, Jesus Christ. What else is pending? Jesus Christ has already come the first time. What what, What is still pending? You see, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the marriage supper. It's almost, you could look at this and be like, wow, it's almost like, you know, we're not in the rehearsal, but it's like we're, you know, these things are pending, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says this in verse 3, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation rehearsal. You shall not. You shall do no work on it. It is a Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations. Anytime you see this word convocation, eighty time, eighty percent of the of the time, it's gonna be this rehearsal, a gathering, but a rehearsal. But this holy convocation, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. Very interesting here. Their appointed times, and the Lord is giving these instructions for seasons. You know, the season is coming and then there's specific instructions in accordance to the law. But what about for you and me as New Covenant believers when the Lord himself gives us the signs of the times for the church? The signs of the times and the closing of the church age, the fullness of the Gentiles. Seasonally speaking. He says this on the fifth, on, on the verse five, he says on the 14th day of the first month. So remember when we studied in, in, in the book of Leviticus, when there was the actual exodus, when they, they actually uh, uh, um, came out of Egypt, you know, and they, uh, you know, all the, 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 the gold and it was given, you know, Egypt was like, OK, fine, get out of here. You know, here, take this gold. It's yours. Get out of here. You know, they were kind of like fed up. They were like, here, get out of here. And, you know, you, you see the fulfillment of the promises unto Moses about the, the they were going to, he was going to plunder Egypt. And then at the same time, you see in chapter 12 of Exodus, you actually see the plundering of Egypt. But the Lord gives them in chapter 12, verse 2 of Exodus, he speaks about a new beginning. A new beginning. The first day they come out of Egypt, it's like a brand new, you know, a whole new time period. This is the first of your month now. That's just so beautiful about our life in Christ when he takes you and me. You know, he took me out of Egypt. You know, I pray that he took you out of Egypt. And I pray if you're still in Egypt that he will take you out of Egypt. All you have to do is take his hand. And to take his hand, you need to believe in his son. Sometimes, you know, people listen because they're kind of curious. Sometimes people listen because, you know, maybe they're angry. Oh, I don't like how he says this, so you know what, I'm going to, you know, whatever, you know. And so, it's like, if you're a listener, I call it divine appointment. You're listening for a reason. And God wants you to know that he loves you. He loves you. If you're in Egypt right now, when I say Egypt, I'm not speaking like, you know locale i'm speaking about you know spiritually speaking what is your egypt sex drugs rock and roll little white lies what is it tax fraud you tax cheat. paying people under the table the lord doesn't want this for you he wants oneness with you it's sin that separates you from him it's sin that separates anybody from him so what does he do he gave jesus christ as a bridge capital b You're under the law, you're in the path of the law, the wages of sin is death, and then all of a sudden he gives you a bridge into grace. A bridge into grace. And so look what happens here. In verse 5, he says, "On On the 14th day of the first month at twilight, it is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must must eat unleavened bread. You know, remember, uh, leaven represents sin. Don't forget that. Remember the the, the guy who was having sex with his dad's wife in the church in Corinth? And the Lord says, hey, kick him out. He's leaven. And a little, little leaven leavens the bunch. Kick him out. It was too hardcore. God is love. Yeah, He's love, but He's also a God of justice. And as is written, a little leaven leavens the bunch. The natural world testifies of these things. You take a loaf of bread. What happens if a loaf of bread sits too long? You know, the mold grows, you know, it gets all nasty. But you have to throw out the whole loaf. Because the mold, you, you don't see it, but the mold is there, you know, it spreads. You throw out the whole loaf. Otherwise, you can get, you know, poison, sick in your stomach. And the Lord is saying that of the person. Take that brother, kick him out of the church. Not indefinitely. You get to 2 Corinthians and you see they're a different church. They are more wise. They have repented. They are right with the Lord. And then it says, okay, bring him back into the church. Take this guy, come bring invite him back into the church. When he says get him out of the church, he says for the destruction of the flesh. Not his destruction, not destruction of his soul. It's destruction of the flesh. I once watched a testimony. You hear me say this from time to time. But I listened to a testimony of a homosexual, former homosexual. He became a Christian. But he was raised in the church. And, you know, he was seduced into the homosexual lifestyle as a young kid, young boy. And then, you know, people in his church, they say, hey, you know, cut this out, repent, get right with the Lord. His parents, get right with the Lord. The pastor, the youth leaders, get right with the Lord. And he said, no way, I don't want this lifestyle anymore. I'm running away. He ran away and left. Nobody heard about him. Finally, when they did hear about him, he was AIDS, HIV positive. He was dying of AIDS. And I see his testimony. He's in a bed. Like, you know, he has all these sores all over his body. He's in his bed. He's on his deathbed. And he said he wanted to make this video. To tell people that, you know, he left Christ. He left Christ and went into the world. What happened to him? The destruction of the flesh. And he says the Lord used that to bring him back to the Lord. So destruction of the flesh, not the destruction of the soul. People think like, oh, you know, you're going to take a brother, take a sister and kick them out of the church. That's so mean-spirited. It's not mean-spirited at all. It's for the destruction of the flesh. Not the soul. The destruction of the flesh. We have to stop getting wrapped up into this idea of a, a, a permanency to a vapor. That's what your life is. You live, you know, 50 years, 100 years, whatever. It's a vapor. What about Eternity oh, you're so mean-spirited, it's not, it's, this, this. you know, this happens because of the destruction of the flesh, how many people, if you're in a, a time machine, you go back in time, you hear Paul say that, Paul, could you write that, that's so mean-spirited, no, it's not, it's loving, loving, and I saw this homosexual, he's gay, he has all these sores, and he was weak, and, you know, his body had, oh, it, looked, it looked weird, because he had all these sore discolorization, and it was an admonition. It was a warning. He says, Look, if there's anybody in sexual sin, whether it be homosexuality, lesbian, or a heterosexual uh, sin, you know, any sin really, but he was hitting hardcore about sexual sin. He says, Leave that lifestyle. Deny that lifestyle. Because it's a lie. He says, Come out of that life and come into Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And you see this beautiful, beautiful man, former homosexual, who I call my brother, and I can't wait to meet him. You know how much his little brief witness, his little brief testimony, how it helped me in my own walk with the Lord. And I pray it helps you too, to understand that certain things that are in the carnal nature are seen as, whoa, that's mean-spirited. No, it's not mean-spirited at all. It's a beautiful thing, the destruction of the flesh. You know what's easier is to deny the flesh for you and me to deny the carnal nature, to deny the flesh, the works of the flesh, to be alive in Christ. It's a lot easier that way. But sometimes we get stubborn. We get stiff-necked and stubborn. Does that ring a bell? Does that sound familiar in our studies in the Old Testament? You see, he says this in verse 7. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. What's being established here, you know, the heading in my Bible says holy convocations, but it's much deeper than that in terms of the spirit of the law. I'm not advocating the law, but it's much deeper that, than that in terms of what we read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17. The substance is Christ. And I'll explain that here further. Look at verse 11. He says, He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. Wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. Now, these are concepts, the wave offering. These are concepts that we we studied already in earlier chapters of Leviticus. So remember when we in our earlier chapters, I says, you know, we're going to see as we progress further, not just in Leviticus, but in Numbers and Deuteronomy, the converging of multiple... Um, offerings, like the burnt offering, the grain offering, working together to form a larger conglomeration of the feasts or the festivals. We're seeing this, like the first application of that right here. The first giving of these instructions for the feasts. Just like it's written here in in verse 2, the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. And so in verse 11, he says, uh, 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 on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, verse 12, and you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Now, in accordance to the new covenant, Jesus Christ as the first fruits, Jesus Christ as the first fruits. Waved by the priest in the Hebrew. Wave here translates as to wave, uh, 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 to shake, and to strike. Look at Jesus Christ before the religious leaders. Struck. Wounded, bruised for our transgressions. But then also as a lamb without blemish. You know, when you read what's so beautiful about an understanding of the new covenant deep understanding not uh, I, you know i've never really given much thought to this but i meant the letter of the new covenant the letter of the law of grace it's not just a letter of the law of grace i meant you know actually speaking you know there's uh, the, the, the the you see the religious people they say they're christians but They don't have a deep understanding or a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. They might know the Bible in terms of like, you, you know, this verse says this, this verse says this, this chapter says this. They might know the Bible. But even Jesus Christ says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. You're like, wait a second. There is eternal life in the scriptures. It's the word of God. The word became flesh. And Jesus Christ says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life? Because it's much deeper than just head knowledge of the scriptures. You have to eat the bread. Capital B. Eat the bread. Consume the bread. The bread of life. All of it. Every every jot, every tittle, no matter how painful God's word is, you have to consume him. And so look what happens here in verse 13. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah, of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. Remember in our earlier chapters in Leviticus, I made the challenge to you. I presented a challenge, and the challenge was this. To start thinking of your life as an aroma unto the Lord. And what is it that you want it to be in the Lord's nostrils? What is it? Do you want stench or do you want beauty? Do you want to be a sweet aroma unto the Lord? I pray it's the latter. But that's a choice that you have to make. And this is something that I think about quite often and it helps me in my walk with the Lord. You know when it really helps me? Is when I stumble. You know, and I get, I have to be very careful with anger. That's 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 a biggie for me the biggest above chief among every single you know You think of like all the think of all the Christians that you've talked to and they say I have a problem with this 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 chief for me is anger Where anger goes to rage and rage goes into I don't care about prison. I don't care about the police I don't care if I get shot in the face. I don't care That's very dangerous And so with me, I have to, you know, I have to just complete and total denial of self. And it's not a good feeling. I hate that feeling when I get angry because it's not that I'm afraid of being angry. But it's just like, I just don't like it. And a lot of times, I just just shut down completely. When I feel anger, like stirring, you know, stewing in me and it's stirring in me. I just shut down. I, I won't say a word. You know, I'll walk away from whatever environment I'm in. And praise be to the Lord. You know who helps me? My wife. Sometimes she just grabs my hand and says, hey, let's get out of here. Because she knows. She knows. And it's so beautiful because it's like people, you know, somebody would look at that and be like, oh, are you submitting to your wife? No, I'm not. She's my helper. She's not in front of me. She's not behind me. She's not above me. She's not below me. She's right at my side. Remember, in Christ, no female, no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile. Equality in Christ. She's right there in the bunker with me. You know, right there in the foxhole. Right there with me. Praise be to the Lord. And I'm with her. And that's what's so beautiful about growing in Christ. Because a married couple, male, female, you can do it together. Grow in Christ. The sad part is when there's disparity, it's not good. It's not good. But even then, you can still be a helper. There's disparity in my own marriage. And my wife was a helper. And, you know, the Lord messed me up. (laughs) And it's so cool because you start to think in terms of these deep meanings of the law as New Covenant believers. Now, you, you, you got, a lot of times what people do is they try to over-spiritualize the Bible. Not that the Bible is, you know, it's spiritually discerned. But they overly spiritualize the Bible. But you have to understand when you read the Bible in context uh, uh, context uh, 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 and co-text, text, context, and co those three aspects, and you read the Bible, especially when you read like uh, the poetic verses, like in Proverbs or the psalmist, then you start to understand, wait a second, the Lord is teaching us something here. Sometimes, you know, you listen to preachers, you listen to teachers, and it's like, okay, that's, you're getting a little too uh, sensual for me in terms of the uh, spirituality. They'll say, oh, you know, this means this, and this is like this, and this means this. It's like, wait a second, where do you get that from? You're t- telling me a text, but there's a whole lot of emotion in there. I want text with context and co-text. Tell me that. So as a Berean, you need to understand these things because a lot of pastors, a lot of elders, they get a Bible teachers. They get away with murder. Because they over-spiritualize things and then they claim this emotion. They claim it's doctrine when it has nothing to do with sound doctrine at all. Paul so eloquently writes about these things. Inspired by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. He so eloquently writes about these things. But at the same time, what's so beautiful about Paul is he's a Pharisee, a Pharisees And he has this understanding of the law of the student of Gamaliel. And what does he do? He sheds light on these Old Testament teachings for us. We just get a little glimpse. But man, you know those 24-hour sermons he would give? Man, I would love to be there. Those long messages he start in the morning and end at night, or start at night and end the next morning. Man, I would love to be there. Because they have this understanding of the Old Testament and then all of a sudden have him teach. As a Pharisee, a Pharisee is like, whoa, I would love to hear that. You know, but you know, praise be to the Lord, you know. We're all uh in our in our lanes. And so look what happens here in verse. 13, you know, this concept of your life being a sweet aroma unto the Lord. He says at the end of verse 13, And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. Do you remember when Paul wrote his letter to young Pastor Timothy? He says, My life is being poured out as a drink offering. Look at the wine that was in him. Number one, look at the vessel, Paul. New wineskin. And then this new wine that is poured into him. And then he's, a, he's an old man, you know, he's in prison, it's kind of like his uh, home home, uh, uh, home, or house arrest. And he's writing this letter to young Pastor Timothy, he's about ready to die, beheaded. And he says, look, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. What a beautiful drink offering that was. And it is because, you know, the, the, the wine in his new wineskin, it's of the Lord. It's not of this world, it's of the Lord. And 2,000 some years later, give or take a couple years, we're still being exhorted by his writings, the writings of our Lord. Not Paul as our Lord, but Paul is so empty that the Lord says, you know what, That's, that's my wine. That's my wine that's being poured out. And so in verse 14, he says, You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So you see, remember, the grain and the bread, it points to Jesus Christ. The grain offering, remember our study in the earlier chapters of Leviticus about the grain offerings, Jesus Christ. The bread, Jesus Christ, the manna from heaven, Jesus—a symbolic of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ says, I'm the bread of life. He says to to the Pharisees, he says, you know, the, the Lord gave our Father, the Lord gave Israel manna from heaven, and they're dead. What about a different bread that you're blind to? That's what he said to the Pharisees. And so you see what happens here in verse 14. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. So, no bread, no grain until you have brought an offering to the Lord. You know what's so powerful about verse 14? In Amos chapter 8, verse 11, the prophet speaks about a time when there's going to be a famine of the hearing of the word of God. A famine. Of the word of God. Or the bread. And then after the prophet Malachi. There's 400 years of silence. Before sweet, beautiful, lovely baby. By the name of Jesus. Born of a virgin. 400 years of silence. No, no prophets. After Malachi. No prophets. And remember. You know Jesus Christ. He grows up. He starts His earthly ministry. He has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, when uh, when the dove fell down and then, you know, everybody could hear, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And He's the one who says, I am the bread. Now let's look at the cross. Analyze the cross, the events of the cross. God's offering of His only begotten Son. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, you believe. And when you believe, you come to Jesus Christ, but you're not empty handed. You say, what does it mean? I, I thought I could come to Christ with absolutely nothing. It's true. You can come to Jesus Christ with absolutely nothing, but even still, you're not empty handed, so to speak. You know what I'm speaking about? Your heart. Your heart. And what's written here in verse 14, now you can eat the bread. See, verse 14, you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. You see, what happens in Christ? You're a non-believer, and then all of a sudden you hear the good news, you hear about Jesus Christ, and you believe. And then all of a sudden you believe in Jesus Christ, what has to happen? You say, Lord, I have nothing to offer you. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And you say, Lord, I, you know, I'm broke. I don't have anything to give you, but I gave you my heart. Praise be to the Lord. So you have two offerings. Our Father offering His Son and you offering your heart. That's the beginning of a beautiful relationship, my friend. And when that happens, those the merging of the two, God's offering of His Son, your offering of your heart, that marriage of the two, you and Jesus Christ, once that happens, now you can eat the bread. You see? And then all of a sudden, the Lord says here, It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Seven Sabbaths. He says this in verse 16. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You know what this count 50 days, uh, 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 the 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, you know what that is? Pentecost, Pentecost. That's what we studied already in Acts chapter two. Pentecost, when the tongues of fire came down and they started to be the disciples started speaking in tongues of fire. You know, the tongues of fire came out and they started speaking in tongues in other languages to preach the good news to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's Pentecost. It's the actual performance of the feast of weeks or the feast of the harvest. Prophetically speaking, this is completed already. I meant prophetically speaking, it's completed already because, you know, we've we've studied that in Acts chapter 2. The tongues of fire. I wonder if there were any Pharisees in the midst who were kind of like, you know, maybe maybe they didn't believe Jesus. And then all of a sudden they see what happens with the disciples. They all kind of run away. And then what happens when they see her? Oh, I, I remember this disciple except... Now he's preaching the good news. Now the Holy Spirit is coming on. Like, what's happening? And then I wonder if there were any Pharisees who could put things together. Be like, wow, you know, I remember when these disciples, they were in this house. They came out of the house and then they just started speaking in all these languages. And I remember, wow, today's the 50th day. It's Pentecost. And they start to put two and two together. Oh my goodness, and they fall on their face before the Lord. I'm convinced that there were some Pharisees that did that did happen too. Because we see phar- former Pharisees in the early church. People who denied the, uh, uh, the ways of the Pharisees, but they still had problems with the law. That's the danger of these false teachings and false doctrines. Or that's the danger of religion and tradition. Because sometimes certain traditions are hard to let go of. Very, very difficult to let go of traditions and i say that as a former catholic and tradition was ingrained in us from a very early age tradition was engraved in us ingrained in us and engraved too <laughs> so he says this in verse 17 you shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an epha they shall be a fine flour they shall be baked with leaven They are the first fruits of the Lord. You say, wait a second. I I thought you said leaven was a bad thing. Leaven is a bad thing. Except here, it's baked with leaven. So what does that mean? Well, let's see verse 18. And you shall offer with the bread. Remember, this is bread with leaven. Seven lambs of the first year without blemish. One young bull and two rams. So now you have bread with leaven and a lot of blood. Because you have these animals, seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. Wow, so you have bread with leaven. You say, oh, leaven's a bad thing. Yes, leaven's a bad thing. But look at how it's dealt with here. Bread with leaven and these animals, which are sacrificed unto the Lord, a lot of blood. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings. Why is that such a big deal? Because with the grain offering, you remember our chapter 2 study, Leviticus chapter 2, and the grain offering, symbolic of Jesus Christ? When you present your offering, the grain offering be the Lord, it must have oil. It must have frankincense. And it can be either just straight flour, or it can be a cake, or it can be a wafer. And no leaven. Whether flour, whether cake, whether a wafer... No leaven, absolutely zero leaven. So look at the life of Paul. I'm going to pick on my friend Paul really quick. I'd say, you know, he'd have beef with me, but, you know, he's not here. (laughs) I'll talk to him one day. Well, I'll talk to him one day. Paul, look at his own life. Look at him in the law when he was beating Christians, killing Christians, having them captured, imprisoned, killed. That's the leaven of Paul. Saul, I should say. That's the leaven of Saul. And then you have the blood of Jesus Christ. Now what do you have? No leaven. Then he writes to young Pastor Timothy. His life is being poured out as a drink offering. That's what's so beautiful about verse 18. You take this bread with leaven. You mix in the blood. The sacrifice of these animals. Remember, a life for life. And then all of a sudden, the grain offering is introduced with the the drink offering. Think of Paul. When you read verse 18, think of Paul. His leaven in the law. You know, performing the law, actually doing the law. And his life as leaven. But then the blood of Jesus Christ when he accepted Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. And then you see his life with no leaven. And then you see what's mixed with this with the grain offering in our study in chapter 2. What do you see? Oil and frankincense. Look at the oil in Paul and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, look at the frankincense in Paul. How beautiful the, the aroma of his life is. That's Paul. What about you and me? What about you? So you hear me say things like, you know, start thinking of your life as an aroma unto the Lord. I don't just say that for the heck of it. Because when you start thinking in terms of that, it's going to help you in your walk with the Lord. And then number two, you're going to feel greater conviction. You know, when your friends call and say, hey, let's go do crack. Hey, let's go to the strip club. When you start thinking of your life as an aroma and your love of the Lord and your fear of of, of the Lord, you're going to say, wow, I don't want my life to be a stench before the Lord. I don't want to bring my Lord stench. He's sustained. uh, My heart is beating without batteries. I have eyes to see his beautiful creation. There's air in my lungs. I'm not going to bring dishonor to him. I don't, you know, you, you know, you instead of you going to the strip club, hey, you know, come join me for church. I mean, you tell that to your friend. They say, no, you're crazy. Okay, then that's on them. It's not on you. Their blood isn't on you. Why? Because you acknowledge the Lord before men. Just like the Lord tells Ezekiel Ezekiel, you tell the people what I put on your heart, and when you tell them, their blood is not on you. But Ezekiel, if you don't tell them, then their blood is on you. That's what happens when you're a messenger. You can't be fearful of man. You can't be a man pleaser. You have to be a God pleaser. Pleasing to Him. People will be the benefactors. But you don't serve people. You serve the Lord. In so doing, the Lord might have you serve people. But it's unto the Lord. And when they spit at you, when they kick at you, you know what happens? Because your ministry is unto the Lord you're going to rejoice because you're counted worthy to suffer shame. But if your ministry is unto people excluding God, it's just for the sake of you know being a, a good guy, being a good gal for the sake of the people, and the Lord didn't call you into that ministry, what's going to happen? You're going to do these things, and you're going to call it the name of the Lord. And then when people hate you, they're going to spit at you. They're going to kick you. And you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to get sad, you're going to get depressed, or you're going to get angry and you're going to fight back. They spit at you, you spit at them. They kick at you, you kick at them. That's carnality. But when the Lord is calling you into that ministry and people spit at you, rejoice. Because you're suffering shame for the name of the Lord. Verse 19, he says this, then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. I mean, you know, it's remember, it's for people to be right with the Lord. The whole purpose of these aspects of the law is for people to be right with the Lord. And once people are right with the Lord, it's for the Lord to start teaching them deeper things, pointing to the future. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. But the whole point, a person is right with the Lord. Okay, now let me show you about a future event, which is the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. Here we are in Christ. It's okay, cool. Our hearts are right with the Lord. We're at peace with the Lord. Now what happens? Okay, we're eternally minded. The Lord is going to teach us about paradise, the Lord is going to teach us about Zion. You see? In verse 20, the priest shall wave them with the bread of the firstfruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation. Rehearsal, remember, to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generation. So no customary work, except there's a different kind of work. No customary work, except there's a different kind of work, which is what this rehearsal, this convocation. It's kind of like you know a church day, you know, back in the days when churches used to be open. You know, it's like you have a church day, and you know, you get home, you know, it's early in the morning, you get ready, or whatever, eat your breakfast, then you go to church, you come home, and a lot of times people say, okay, it's, it's we're just gonna take a relaxation day, we're gonna go to the movies, or I got some time off work, so I'm gonna mow the lawn. Or I'm going to, you know, watch football, play games, do whatever. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. But what the Lord is saying here, he's saying, you know, take, take this Sabbath day, this day of rest. Don't, don't do any customary work on it. But it's an Old Testament example of this deep concept of Selah. Selah, you see that in the Psalms. Anytime you see the word Selah in the Psalms, it's the, you know, read a passage And then selah, it's like, you know, to really pause and soak it all in. Soak it all. It's to take pause and just let it stew. Calm your heart, calm your mind. Soak it all in and just selah, you know, think, consider. It's deep. It's very deep. And that's what's so beautiful about a day in the Lord, like on a Sunday, you know, a church day. And I've been in on a Sunday, you know, you go to church, you come home, and it's like, wow, well, you know, I got to take a nap, you know. Or right, you know, I, I want to go home and, just, you know, watch TV or whatever. And I get that. I completely understand that. But what about a time where you go on Sunday, you go to church, you hear the word. You know, you're not going to a rock concert. You're not listening to a rock star pastor. You know, it's, you're listening to the Word of God. And then you come home, be there single or with family, whatever. You hear the Word of God and then you're home now. You sit on your couch. And just a time period of Selah. Wow, Lord. Wow, Lord, what is it? It's like, wow, I didn't understand that. Your Word teaches us like this and wow. And bring it home. It's like, you know, yeah, the, the Lord teaches us, us, you know, the koinonia, the ecclesia. But bring it home closer. Wow, Lord, look at the things that you showed me today. Measure it with your life. In some cases, you might have to repent. You might have to, you know, go home and like, man, your your form of selah is getting right with the Lord because you've considered. And that's what's so beautiful about these time periods of selah take pause in life and consider. A lot of times people like to think of the weekends. And like, oh yeah, you know, let's go do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. We're gonna, You know, I'm going to watch the game. I'm going to do whatever it is. Extra time I can do chores. But what about a time period where you just, you know, have a time of Selah. After hearing a sermon. To consider, measure your heart. To grow in the Lord. And that's what the Lord is establishing here in this law, this concept. He says in verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any, gleanings from your har- for any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Remember this concept, you know, like if, you, if you're a farmer, you know, don't be a stingy farmer. Don't be like, you know, a little cheapskate where it's like, you know, you're going to farm the land and one little ear of corn falls and you're going to get the corn and, you know, it's like, oh, you're going to hoard everything. Know what the Lord says in accordance with the law, he says, you know, yeah, harvest your land. That's okay. Do it. But like, you know, you get to the edges, don't he says, leave the edges. If something falls, leave it there, leave it alone. Just do this portion of your land. Why? So that when you're done, you know, you harvest, you take the harvest, you know, you leave certain portions, something falls, it's okay. You know, there's plenty of the harvest of what the Lord is providing. And then you take that into the farm, you do what you gotta do. And then, when you're in your barn, you know, doing whatever, all of a sudden the poor people are right behind you. They come in behind you, the poor people and the stranger. It's like their harvest. So like you take all this time, you know, you work as unto the Lord. You've been working, you know, when the the season was right, you're growing a crop or whatever. But when it comes time the har- comes time to harvest, you leave a portion for the poor people and for the uh for the sojourner, for the foreigner. You see how God takes special care not only of you, but also those around you. So say you're a rich guy with a big, you know, flock, a big farmland, and there's a lot you know there's a lot to do, but then what about the poor people? What if you have neighbors that are poor, people around you that are poor? You know you're done with your thing, but you know all of a sudden now they still have to work, just like Paul says you don't work, you don't eat, but they still work, they still go through the land. You see God's special care that he has. For all people, you, you know, the wealthy class, the middle class, and the poor class. all even the foreigner. Verse 23, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Very interesting here, this blowing of trumpets. You know, I don't think the time is right right now. But it may be down the road that the time will be right to further expound upon this and speak about this uh, memorial of blowing of trumpets in light of the Feast of Tabernacles. Maybe one day. We'll see. Look what happens here. He says in verse 25, You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the Day of Atonement. This is a big day in Hebrew culture. A huge day. A very, very huge day. The Day of Atonement. It's Yom Kippur. We just had it a couple of weeks ago. You know, Yom Kippur. I mean, not we, but I mean, like, if you're Jewish, you just had it. You know, I didn't say we just had it. I mean, I'm not like, you know, some, I'm not going back to the law. But Yom Kippur. A Day of Atonement. It's the, the 10th of Tishrei. In the Hebrew calendar. Remember, the Hebrew calendar is lunar. We have the Gregorian calendar. That's what Western culture, much of the world uh, aligns with the uh, Gregorian calendar. But the Hebrew calendar, it's not Gregorian. You know, so you have in the Gregorian, starting in like the end of March, early April. In the Hebrew, that's Nisan. In in the Hebrew calendar. So it kind of starts in late, late March, early April. Nisan, and then you have uh, Iyar, and then you have uh, Sivan, and then Tammuz, Av, Elul, Tishrei, that's the seventh month, Tishrei, uh, Cheshvan, Kivlev, Tivet, uh, uh, Shevat, and Adar. That's the Hebrew calendar. So we have like January, February, March, April, you know, so the Hebrew calendar, it's lunar, it's not Gregorian. Historically speaking, that's why they call April Fool's Day, it was anti-Semitic. April Fool's. Oh, you want to follow the Hebrew calendar? You're an April Fool, because they, you know, it kind of started in April, like late, very late March, early April. That was like the beginning of the Hebrew calendar. So that you know, April Fool's is anti-Semitic, you know, anti-Jew, because you know, the Antichrist spirit hates Jews. The spirit of the Antichrist hates Jews and hates Christians. So anytime I see anything in the news like anti-Semitic or anti-Jewish. Anti-Christian, first thing I think, of, Satan, spirit of the Antichrist. It's all the works of Satan, and so you have this Day of Atonement, a huge day, the biggest day of the year in the in the Hebrew culture, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which we just had, you know, several weeks ago, or they just had several weeks ago. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls. Affliction here translates as to humble. To humble your souls and chasten your soul. And offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now you say like, wow, how could this be a good thing to afflict your soul? Well, let me ask you something. Have you ever been in sin and you're in sin and you know the word of God? Or you're in sin and you read the word of God, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is just like a knife in your heart. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to the Holy Spirit, but you feel his conviction, and it's like, whoa, this is like terrible, Lord. I love you, Lord. I fear you, Lord. And my life is wrong before you. And you just feel like, whoa, this is terrible. That's what the Lord desires. He desires the acknowledgement of sin. And you're going to see that Old Testament and New Testament. The acknowledgement of sin. Because with the acknowledgement of sin comes something else. The cutting of your heart. Cut to the heart. You see people in in the book of Acts, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter, you know, what do we do? Peter says you have to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What about the religious leaders? When Peter was giving them the gospel, they also were cut to the heart. And instead of saying, Peter, what do we do? What do I do, Peter, to be saved? They said, you know what? Hey, guys, let's kill this Peter guy. They were both cut to the heart. Both camps were cut to the heart. One camp was cut to the heart and says, Peter, what do we do? They said, repent and believe Jesus Christ. Repent and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they did so. And boom, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. The church was growing multitudes, thousands of people, Christians, Christians. And one day, thousands of people came to the faith. Praise be to the Lord. They were cut to the heart, and look what happened. Another faction of people, the religious leaders, the ones who were blind and deaf to the law, wide awake to the letter of the law, but blind and deaf to the spirit of the law. I, I, I don't even know if I should say you know, wide awake to the letter of the law. They were also were cut to the heart and they say, hey, let's beat Peter up. Let's beat up this little entourage and throw them out of here. You see, all camps, that's what the gospel does. The gospel of Jesus Christ, truth of Jesus Christ, it will cut your heart. Any faction, it will cut your heart, guaranteed. I say the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of, you know, the social gospel. Not that. That won't cut to the heart. That'll make you feel good about yourself. You'll be in sin. You'll feel good about yourself. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ will cut your heart. And when your heart is cut, you have a choice to make. What do I do? Does my heart be healed? Does my my cut heart? I need a covering for my heart. You know, like like a band-aid is a covering or a bandage is a covering. That's very loosely speaking, but similar connotations. I need a covering for my heart. What do I do? Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. Or do I say? Who is this messenger? Let's kill him. Let's have him in prison. You know what that means? Yeah, this messenger is being dealt with, carnally speaking, in the Antichrist spirit. But then at the same time, my heart is still cut by truth. No covering. And because my heart is cut, what happens? I'm just going to bleed out. No life. Remember, life is in the blood. Supernaturally speaking. But very exact same concept. So when your heart is cut by the truth of God's holy word, praise be to the Lord. It's what's supposed to happen. It's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so... Yeah, that's what this, when he says you shall afflict your souls in verse 27, it's this humility to humbly, when you're before the Lord and before His truth, it's like, whoa, Lord, you are holy, and Lord, I am not. Lord, your holy word says this, and my life says otherwise. And you're going to be cut to the heart. Say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. If you're not a believer, you know, become a believer. If you are a believer, be made right in Christ, and then at the same time go and sin no more. Because what happens if you're going to waddle in sin, or if that's going to be a, a so-called habitual sin? No such thing as a habitual sin. It, you you might say because of your habit that there is such a thing as a habitual sin, but you read the Bible. The Lord says, deal with it. The Lord always makes a way of escape. Always, it needs to be dealt with. Go and sin no more. That might mean you have to get rid of your computers, your smartphones. That might mean that you might have to cut ties with certain individuals. Say you're a former crackhead, and you still have your crackhead friends. You might have to say, bye-bye, crackheads. You have friends that say, hey, let's go to the strip club. You might have to say, bye-bye, crazy people. Because you have a choice to make in Christ. And so look what happens here in verse 28. And you shall do no, no work... On that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. You see, it's in the law, it's like a process. A, a special period of time. Under grace, it's a process too. But we're going to study that hardcore in Romans. It's also a process. Going from fish to lamb to sheep. It doesn't end there, but I just say as a believer, from fish to lamb to sheep. And then the Lord can expand even further and say, okay, from sheep to shepherd. But that's his call, not my call. In verse 29, for any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. Whoa, that sounds harsh. Is it harsh? 20 years ago, 23 years ago, I would have said, yeah, that's pretty harsh today. I don't say that at all. Because you start to understand these rules in place, in the law. Number one, they're set up for a purpose. And what's the purpose? God's safety on Israel. And I'm saying that, not advocating the performance of the law or doing the law, but advocating the fulfillment of the law. I see the safety. Just like, you know, kids. You tell a kid, hey, kid, don't, you know, don't hang out with that other guy. And, you know, you're, oh, man, you know, what's wrong? He's my best friend. uh, Say you're 11 11 years old. That's my best friend, Mom. That's my best friend, Dad. How come I can't hang out with them anymore? And the parent says, well, I just don't want you to hang out with them. And if you do hang out with them, if I catch you hanging out with them, you're going to be grounded. Oh, man, come on, Dad. Come on, Mom. Why not? And then, you know, what your parents aren't telling you, if you're a young kid, what your parents aren't telling you is like, you know, he talked with the parents. He has some friends that are cops. And the cops say, hey, this kid is bad news. He's doing drugs. You know, he's doing, he's hanging out with a bad crowd. And as a kid, you're like, oh, come on, mom. Come on, dad. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Then you understand it as you grow up, you understand, wow, my parents, they had these rules in place because they were protecting me. They didn't want me, you know, they, uh, they heard that this guy was, you know, but from the authorities, this kid was caught up in some criminal behavior. This kid was caught up with, with a bad, bad crowd, a certain lifestyle that would lead into a life of incarceration, criminal activity. And your parents say, no, you're not hanging out with this kid. As a child, you look at that and you're like, oh man, my parents are so mean-spirited. They're so mean to me. Look, they want to break this beautiful friendship. He's my best friend. But then you grow older and you realize, wow, they were protecting me. The same thing applies to our Lord, our Father in heaven. I'm not advocating the law. But I could see the hand of protection on Israel, especially where he was taking them. They didn't know where he was taking them. The Lord knew exactly where he was taking him. What about for you and me as new covenant believers? You don't know where the Lord is taking you. You don't know if five years from now you're going to be a pastor. You don't know if 10 years from now you're going to be a Bible teacher. What if you're going to be an evangelist? What if you're going to be a prophet? You know, prophesying. You say, oh, that, that's for another dispensation. That's for 2,000 years ago. Well, we've already covered that to a great extent. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, listen to our study in the book of Acts. We've covered that to a great extent. You don't know where the Lord is going to take you. What if He wants you to be a missionary in wherever? You don't know. The Lord knows exactly where He's going to take you. And how He wants to use you. But today, He wants you to make choices that honor Him. It's like today is preparation for tomorrow. Spiritually speaking, I mean, in a literal sense, you could read it, hear that and be like, okay, I get it. You know, it's kind of a no-brainer. Well, if it's a no-brainer in the carnal sense, why in the world is it a no-brainer in the spiritual sense? You don't know what God wants to do with you. You read these passages of His promises. You read these passages of how He Uh, Prepares a person before the work is done. Look at how he prepared Moses. Now look at Moses here in Leviticus, and we're going to see in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, and then we're going to see Joshua. Look at the preparation that the Lord was doing. And you don't know how the Lord is. We know. I mean, we know how the Lord used Moses because you know we studied it. But at the time, Moses didn't know. At the time, Abraham didn't know. Jacob, Isaac, Paul. He didn't know, except the Holy Spirit had been testifying to Paul. You know, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. The Lord it was, it told Paul, Paul, you know, now you, were in, you know, we're here, but now we're going to go to Rome. On to Rome. It's preparation. Today is preparation for tomorrow. Your choices you make now will help you in the preparation for tomorrow. And so, look here what happens here. In verse 30, And any person who does, not, who, who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. Okay, now, aspects of the law is pretty frightening. This is one of them, death. But that's the law. The wages of sin is death. The law is still in effect. Say, no, it isn't. I'm of the new covenant. I'm a new covenant believer. We're in the church age. Well, if you're going to say that and that biblical truth applies to you, that means that you're abiding in Christ. But you hear me say from time to time, if I'm abiding in Christ and all of a sudden I start beating on my wife, cheating on my wife, start doing the crack, going to strip clubs, all kinds of stuff. I can never, I can't be a pastor because I'm I've abdicated that role, that responsibility. I cannot be a pastor. And at that time, I'm under the law. Because I've left the confines of grace. I've been seduced to exit the confines of grace. You say, oh no, that's not real. That's not real because, you know, uh, you didn't choose, choose me. I chose you. That's what Jesus Christ says. Don't forget, one of you is a devil my. Choose. You know, a lot of times people, they have these huge doctorates in theology. They have these huge, uh, all these certificates of theology. But they need to read their Bible. And the Pope gets away with murder. That's not Christianity. It is not biblical Christianity. You know, And it just blows me away because we're studying the Old Testament. And these are such beautiful passages in terms of how the Lord is leading people. He's going to lead them to the promised land on earth. He's also leading people to the promised land that want to come. Paradise. The fulfillment of the law. It's like a physical leading and a spiritual leading. All by the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. The exact same thing for you and me today. Not under the law. I mean, if you're under the law, that's one thing. to say get out of the law. Be alive in Christ. Reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. But then at the same time, Jesus Christ shepherding his people. The paradise. The promised land. And so... In verse 31, you shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. So, remember, this is the ninth day of the month, but or uh, the ninth day of the month at evening. But remember, in the Hebrew calendar, the day starts at night. So, it's like, you know... Uh, uh like we have midnight in western culture gregorian calendar time frame we have like you know midnight and then it starts the next day but you know the sun goes down and a little bit in the evening and then boom you already start the next day so it says on the ninth day of the month you know which is the beginning of the 10th day which you know sometimes you have these uh mockers of the last days they'll say you see verse 27 says the 10th day and verse 32 says the ninth day well you need to understand the basic hebrew calendar It says, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. You shall observe your Sabbath. And then, look what happens here in verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, the fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. This is Sukkot. Sukkot. It's the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, it just so happens to be that we are currently in the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I, 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 I'm not a Jew. I say that as you know, a New Covenant believer. But if you're Hebrew, you're you're in the the, the, the Sukkot right now, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, celebrating the Feast of Booths in accordance to the law. Now, if you're Hebrew and you're listening to these words, I say receive the Messiah. So you're not a believer. Receive the Messiah. It's not two Messiahs, two Messiahs, two comings. It's one Messiah, two comings. The first coming, the Messiah was rejected. The second coming. Messiah accepted. But it's not without, it's going to come at a heavy cost. It's come at a heavy cost already. And it just so happens that we're here in the Feast of Tabernacles. It starts on October 2nd. It ends on October 9th. This uh, uh, Feast, uh, Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. Sukkot, verse 35. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation or rehearsal. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days, you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord on the eighth day. Very Interesting. Very, very interesting. On the eighth day, you know are also coincides with the eighth day? Circumcision. Pre-law. Pre-law of Moses, it was a law given to Abraham. The law that Moses' wife remembered. Zipporah. You see? On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. A burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings. Everything on its day, besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows and besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord, whoa! You see, this is the law. Now I have to say, there's certain aspects of the law which make me think like, wow, we got a pretty, we're pretty spoiled now. The fulfillment of the law and abiding in Christ, we're pretty spoiled. I mean, we're just looking at you know uh, the offerings and the performance of the law in in terms of these gifts and vows and the free will offerings. But then don't forget, what if there's uncleanness? What, what what, if somebody is a leper? Look at that whole process of being clean again. How do you have to go outside the camp, live there for a period of time, get checked out. And when you are checked out, another process of cleansing. You come back into the camp. You're able to live not in the camp of the tent of your home, but like a little side tent. And you have to wait another period of time before you can join the family in the home. Wow, that's the law. So we're kind of spoiled. It's kind of spoiled. We're very spoiled now. And how it's this promise of the Lord, the fulfillment of the Lord of the law, Jesus Christ, How now the good news has gone to the Gentiles. Why? To provoke the Jews to jealousy. We're going to study that even more hardcore in our study in the book of Romans. To provoke the Jews to jealousy. Because we got it easy. I don't mean to chuckle at saying that, but we really do have it easy. But it comes at a very heavy price. So forgive me for chuckling. We do have it easy. But it comes at a very, very, very heavy price. In terms of the abandonment of the fulfillment of the law. Temporal. It's only temporal. And how the promises of the the, the good news came to the Gentiles. It's all to provoke the Jews to jealousy. There is such a thing as the fullness of the Gentiles. And the focus is going to go back to Israel. Some people teach uh, 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 um, um, uh, replacement theology, which is unbiblical. It's demonic. God is done with the Jews. God is done with Israel. No way. That's not even in the Bible. They make it up because they don't have sound doctrine. They make it up. I can name some names, but I'll save that for another day. And look, look what happens here. In verse 39, Also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feasts of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. Interesting. Interesting. Remember the circumcision on the eighth day. In verse 40, and you shall take for yourselves... On the first day, the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year, and shall it shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths or tabernacles. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths, or tabernacles, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the Feast of the Lord. Now, in closing, you think like, wow, we're done. Not yet. In closing... Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 7, John 7. John 7, we're going to, we're not going to look at the entire chapter, we're going to chop it up a little bit, but here in John 7, look at verse 2, the time period here is now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. It's very important to see a picture of what the Lord does and what the Lord says during this period of time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, what we just read in uh, uh, Leviticus, Leviticus 23. Very, very important because I don't want you to get trapped into the law. That's what I don't want to have happen. So the the, the two bookends so if we look at the our study in the law, you have the bookend. We open it up looking at New Covenant truths. And now, you know, the other bookend, New Covenant truths, the words of our Lord. And you have this protection of the New Covenant. Because I don't want Satan to deceive you to go back to the law. So in verse 2 of chapter 7, the book of John says, Now the, feast, now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. And in verse 8, let's fast forward to verse 8 here. He says, this is the Lord speaking. He's speaking to his brothers. He says, you go up to to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. You see? Now you start to see a little different aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles from the law. Remember, all these things are a shadow of the things to come. We have the fulfillment of Jesus Christ right here. But he's not received as the Messiah just yet. He's not received. He's not seen as the Messiah. He's not seen as the Son of God, even though he is. His brothers, they, they look at verse 5. For even his brothers did not believe him. You see? So he tells his brothers, you go up to, in verse 8, you go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And then look at verse 14. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and taught. And he taught like wildfire. The people didn't even understand. Like in verse 15, he said, and the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters? Having never studied, like we never, we never saw him in synagogue. Who is this kid? Who is this guy? We never he never went to us and he wasn't in the class of Gamaliel. Who who is he? Then he says in verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, "My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me." Look at let's fast forward to verse 21 here. He says, "Jesus answered and said to them." Well, they you know, the the in verse 20 the people answered and said, "You have a demon who is seeking to kill you." Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Then he explains. Verse 22. Moses therefore gave you circumcision. Interesting. Remember what we studied about the uh, Feast of Booths? Feast of Tabernacles? And the eighth day? Now all of a sudden... During this, in verse 2, what it says here about the, 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 the Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ is speaking about circumcision. Very interesting. He says this. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. Remember, the law of circumcision is pre-law, pre-Moses, pre-Ten Commandments. And this is a a truth that beautiful Zipporah understood and knew. Because remember when the Lord wanted to kill Moses. You hear me say that all the time. And I think it's so beautiful in terms of a wife's ministry unto her husband. You know, what if the Lord wants to kill your husband? Just like the Lord wanted to kill Moses. Look at what Zipporah did. Beautiful, like warrior. And so look what happens here. The Lord says, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath. So say, for example, a foreigner is comes into the camp of Israel. And then all of a sudden, you count eight days from that. Are you not going to circumcise him on the Sabbath? Or say, a lady's pregnant and she gives birth. And she gives birth and you count eight days from that. And what if that falls on the Sabbath? Are you not going to break the law and not circumcise the baby? I'm not advocating the law. I'm just pinning a point in congruence with the law to paint this picture. That's what the Lord is saying here. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. You see, it's very interesting how he brings up this topic of circumcision which is something that happens on the eighth day, which is also a day of uh, the, uh, the Sabbath day, the eighth day in the Feast of Tabernacles. And it just so happens that during this week of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Lord is giving this special message about circumcision. Remember, belief in Jesus Christ. Belief in Jesus Christ. And so look what happens here. Verse 25, now some of, them, some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? They were kind of going crazy, like, wait a second, the religious leaders, they want to kill him, and here Jesus is, here's the religious leaders, why aren't, why aren't they saying anything? Like, what's happening here? He says in verse 26, but look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him, and this is a hardcore question. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? Do they know that this is the Messiah? You see how hardcore this is? What if, what if there were some Pharisees in the mix? Sadducees, scribes, Pharisees, high priests. What if there were some of that camp who knew? That Jesus was the Messiah. Just like this question is here. Do the rulers know indeed that this truly that this is truly the Christ? What if? Except they loved their position. Remember how you hear me say, like, the Pharisees should have known, the Sadducees should have have known, the scribes should have known, and they should have said, hey guys, the Messiah is here. Jesus is the Messiah. Let's bow down and worship Him. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. What if there were some in that bunch who liked their elite class? They liked being the religious establishment. They liked being... uh, exalted by the people. And instead of, what if they knew Jesus Christ was the Messiah? And they say, you know what, let's kill him. You see how even a satanic plot to kill Jesus Christ fulfills the law. Fulfills the law. Because as we read in Colossians As we read in Colossians that what happens at the cross in verse 14, Colossians chapter 2, he has taken it out of the way, speaking of the law, having nailed it to the cross. That's the law. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Triumphing over them. Now you read that. With carnal eyes, there's no triumph in his death in the cross. That's carnality. That's a concept of unbelief and uncircumcision of heart. To see the cross as triumph, Jesus Christ died. But, you know, He's nailed to the cross as atonement for your sin and my sin. You know what else is nailed to the cross? The law. Remember, the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the unrighteous. That's the law. And so going back to um, uh, John uh, 7, this question is posed. Do, these, do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? Now let's look at verse 32. In closing, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring, mur- uh, murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am going you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he indeed does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, You will seek me and not find me, and where I where I am you cannot come? That was their question. In verse 37, on the last day, remember, it's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast Abus, Sukkot. He says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, this is a beautiful call and invitation, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Remember? Feast. Feast anyone thirst let him come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water but this he spoke concerning the spirit remember these are spiritually discerned a lot of times people would hear jesus christ and be like what is he talking about how he would speak in parables i mean they're at a feast i mean it, they're at this celebration, the Feast of Boots. I mean, it, it, I don't want to cheapen what what's happening in the law. But picture Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving, you have a big meal. There's a lot of food, a lot of stuff to drink, you know. And, you know, you're just full. You're done eating and you're just stuffed to the gullet. You're stuffed. And so at this festival, all of a sudden, Jesus Christ... He stood 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 and he cries out loud and he says if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Oh, it's like wait a second, we're we're at this feast. He says this he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Have you ever heard people speak truth? Preachers? Pastors, Bible teachers? They speak truth, they love the Lord, they fear the Lord, they speak truth, and it's like this well of living water. Male, female, young, old, testifying of Jesus Christ. Verse 39, But this He spoke concerning the Spirit, Whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And he says this, chapter 7 is during this Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. And remember Colossians chapter 2, verse 17. The law is a shadow of the Christ, the law is a shadow of things to come. Circumcision in the law, but then. What about as a shadow of things to come? Circumcision being belief in Jesus Christ. There are major, major, major prophetic implications in, in the law, in, in, in Leviticus 23, in terms of what it points to here, in pointing to Jesus Christ here in John 7. But also for even our future today. Not our future, but for our future in this globe, but for the future, even today. Because the fullness of the Gentiles will happen. As surely as the Lord lives, the fullness of the Gentiles, it will be here. It will arrive one day. Me personally, I think soon. And what happens? What also coincides with the fullness of the Gentiles? You read Romans chapter 11, verse 25. And also is the unblinding, the unmasking of Israel. When they're able to see clearly. And they recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah. It hearkens back to these very words of our Lord. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then you see what happens when the living water pours out and fills the dead sea. These are major prophecies. Living water flowing again. Literally. And it's so beautiful when you have an understanding of the New Covenant and you read these passages of the law, Leviticus. And then not just in terms of what is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but what will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. We're going to end our study here and Lord willing, pick up next week in the next chapter. God bless you guys. Love you guys.